AquariumRadio.com. Aloha. This is Enki. You know me as Aquarius. And this is our age, the Sata Yuga. Time to celebrate with us. We have programs on all chakra tantra, love styles and relationship choices, counseling strategies and techniques that you can use at home. We have extraterrestrial radio where we deal with alienology, paranormal people, and we have an experiencers network. We have a section called Ancient Aliens, and the programs therein are Enki Speaks, Nimma, the mother of humanity, has her program, and we revise ancient anthropology. And most important of all, we have Peace Paradigms because this is the age of peace. Harmony and understanding, sympathy and trust abounding, no more falsehoods or derisions, golden living dreams of visions, mystic crystal revelations, and the mind's true liberation. Aloha, this is Dr. Sasha Lesson. I have a PhD in anthropology from UCLA, and my specialty is called ethnology, putting it all together. Humans have been on this planet for hundreds of millions of years. And I don't just mean ape-like things, I mean full-on human beings, some of them 18, even 35 feet tall. And we have evidence that anybody can look at. There's been a number of extinction events, and the record only becomes clear 450,000 years ago when settlers, full-on human beings, about 12 feet high from the planet Nibiru, arrived here and 300,000 years ago created the hybrid humans that we are. In this program, we take you through the deluge, the nuking of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the ongoing battle between Enlil, Yahweh, and Marduk, Allah, who posed as gods, but were really just ETs with advanced technology. Their followers still pit us against each other, and the followers of other Nibirans, namely Enki, Nimma, and Nengashida, are here to help us overthrow the elite that follows these false gods and makes us kill each other and compete and kill our planet. It's time to re-examine ancient anthropology. We explore the mysteries of sentient life on Earth, how it evolved, and where we're going. We interview anthropologists, archaeologists, researchers involved in the study of history. We seek to unravel the mystery, reconstruct, and redesign humanity's story to reflect the truth and a more authentic story, more accurate and closer to the truth. Truth sets us free, gives us all the information we need to evolve, grow, and become a conscious, civilized civilization. And here are your hosts, Janet and Dr. Sasha Lesson. Aloha and welcome to Aquarian Radio at AquarianRadio.com. Today is Friday, April 19th, 2013. And today's show, uh, an episode of Ancient Aliens, is called Most Gods Left Us, or the longer title is In 2025 to 2050 BC, the gods, most of them anyway, left us. I am your host, Janet Care Lesson. My co host is Dr. Sasha Lesson. And uh, Dr. Lesson is going to start and fill us in a little bit more about today's episode. Okay, <clears throat> by around 1250 BC, and this is uh, quoting uh, stuff from Neil Freer, the Nibirans, whom our ancestors called 
the Anunnaki, that means those who came down from the sky, these Nibirans had gone into their final phase-out mode. The human population and the Foreman kings, now left on their own, began to fend for themselves. For some 3,000 years, subsequently, we humans have been going through a traumatic transition to independence from these so-called gods. Still, some of us are still uh, dependent. <clears throat> On Earth, the Nibirans divided into two basic warring factions. The faction loyal to Nibiran gold mining operations commander Enlil, also known as Yahweh, and Inerta, known as Adad, Utu, and usually Nanar and Inanna. You know, let, let's take that slower. Here's the people that were in uh, Enlil's faction. Okay, and they were called the uh, Enlilites. Okay, and here's who's in it. There's Enlil, of course, and he's also known as Yahweh. Then his son uh, that he had with Nimma, her na his name is Ninurta. And then the kids that he had directly uh, with his wife, uh, Sud, after he raped her and then had to marry her, and she became Ninlil. Then he had uh, Adad and Utu, but first of all, he had Nanar. Okay, and then Nanar's uh, daughter, Inanna, was a real powerful chieftain too. So those are the people that comprise um, what Sitchin calls the Enlilites. Go ahead, Janet. Okay, and Sitchin calls the faction, the rival faction, the Enkiites, since a chief scientist, Enki, who's also known as Adonai, Ptah, Sidon, which is uh, Neptune, or no. Um, That's right, Neptune. Neptune. And his sons, he's also known as Aquarius. And these are the sons of, of, of uh, Enki. Right. These, and he, Enki's sons, Marduk, Nigashina. Marduk is Ra. Nigashina is Thoth. Gebel, or is it Gebel? Gibble. Gibble. Nergal. Demuzi, and Demuzi is uh, now deceased at this point. Enki's grandsons, Asar, also known as Osiris, Osiris Seth, and his great-grandson, Horus. These are the Enkiites. Nigashina and Nergal subsequently defected to the Enlilites. Wow, Nigashina defected too. Yeah, first of all, he, he, uh, first of all he w when everybody was crowding in the pyramid to fight off the Enlilites when they were attacking, Nigashina said, I, I'm not going to do that. Those people are my, uh, are my, are my mother's uh, lineage. I, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get caught in the middle of this shit. I don't want to fight. And so, uh, and then, uh, so, so, so he was, then, and so then when Enlil beat, beat and won, and he kicked Ra out and uh, exiled, and they were going to kill him, but then they exiled him to uh, North America, uh, Enlil appointed Ningashida, because he seemed neutral, because both sides respected him to rule in Egypt. But then Ra came back, and they fought, and uh, Ningashida, who is now known as Toth, and um, uh, Marduk, uh, Ra, they, they fought for 300 years. Finally, An, 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 Enki, it was his overall turf, Africa, he said, okay, look at Ningashida, you got to go. Just give it, to, give it to Ra. I promised Ra a long time ago he'd have his own kingdom. So okay, why don't you help me with Stonehenge? We'll build a, uh, some, we'll get stoned there, right? Okay. Okay, so in any case. Wait, wait, I'm not quite done. So Marduk, who is Ra, and he had a son named Nabu. And there was an astronaut corps commander, Shamgaz, and his hybrids, plus the followers of Ra in Egypt. Yeah, I, I forgot to say that Shamgaz w really represented the uh, Alalu lineage. He was tied in with Alalu, who had been uh, 
his kinsman Anzu, who had been uh, who had led a war uh, against Enlil, and so Shamgas was part of that group of uh, astronauts, and uh, they became loyal to Marduk, and so he, he uh, Shamgas was a full-on uh, Nibirin uh, too, and so so here's the lineup then uh, for the Ankiites. Who all yeah. have we got? So they, they, they finally, all these followers of Ra and the Ankiites and Endolites, by 2025 BC, the, the followers of Ra, and Mar, Ra is also known as Marduk, remember that, took over the radiation-polluted Middle East. Remember, in our last few episodes, we, uh, the, the Middle East got nuked in a big, huge nuclear war. Sodom and Gomorrah was one of the... First places to go. Okay. Okay. So, the, you, so, so the Nibirians are getting off planet. And they left huge doodles and rocket takeoff lines in uh, South America, on top of the Andes. The evidence of the last Nibirian spaceport on Earth includes 740 takeoff trails atop huge scraped drawings, geoliths. Uh, and the geoliths are the known and imaginary. They weren't imaginary. They saw them. Uh, animals and birds that they that they're made by removing the topsoil several inches, executed with one continuous line that curves and twists and crosses over itself. Attempts to show that a horde of workers working at ground level and using scrapers could have created these images failed. Someone airborne used some kind of blasting device on their airplane. To blast the uh, so they, they these guys are they're waiting to get off and they're hotshot pilots and while things are loaded they're um, making the, these uh, fun artistic uh, things uh, from their planes the uh, feet deep candelabra in the nearby Bay of Paracas was obtained in the same way by aircraft equipped with a ray gun gizmo the way uh, Sitchin puts it but this. Uh, this is uh, the Bay of Paracas. Uh, that's the mark of Adad, who is known in South America as Viracocha. And, and this was his flag. This is, come in here. This is my place. I'm Viracocha. Well, this was where? In, in Peru? Yeah, in, it's, in it's, Peru up in the, in, it's up in the highlands. In the highlands, it's called the Plains of Nazca. Plains of Nazca. Uh, yeah, they, that's and, right. And Google it. You'll see a lot of it. Very interesting pictures. Well, and no, no, look at our site. Go to our got... site. Yeah, our site is Enki Speaks, E-N-K-I speaks.com go to our site we have youtubes uh pictures illustration articles and uh anyway but especially about about we have a whole display about the the nazca planes and the different doodles there right so nabiran pilots used runways on the nazca planes they doodled for fun killing time before taking off before takeoffs then they shuttled to mars and from mars they rocketed home to nabiru in addition to the geoglyphs, there are actual lines, the Nazca lines, that run straight without fault. These stretch sometimes narrow, sometimes wide, sometimes short, sometimes long, over heels and veils, no matter the shape of the terrain. The straight lines crisscross each other, sometimes running over and ignoring the animal drawings. These are not made with handmade, handheld ray guns. The lines are not horizontally level. They run straight over uneven terrain, ignoring hills, ravines, gullies. They are not runways. They are the results of takeoffs by craft taking off and leaving on the ground below lines created by their engine's exhaust. On a nearby mountain, lines of grooves outlining a landing corridor, circles and squares from across as in a modern heliport. 
Yeah, you can you know, see where their long landing place is. You can see where the you know, different planes have different runways. After most of the gods left Earth, the Enlilites started getting more and more powerful, uh, and uh, they're pushing harder and harder against Marduk, who's uh, stationed mainly in Egypt and Babylon. So Enlil's main rival god, Marduk, gave Hammurabi, his uh, king in Babylon, a weapon called the Great Power of Marduk, some kind of technological weapon. And with this Great Power of Marduk, Hammurabi subdued all of Sumer, except for the, where uh, Adad had his uh, fife in Assyria, and he couldn't conquer uh, Ninurta's place in Lagash. But besides uh, Assyria, Syria and uh, Lagash, uh, that the rest of uh, the Middle East was under Marduk's control. So Adad is, uh, once again, he's the, uh, he's an Enkiite. He's the youngest, no, Adad is not an Enkiite. Adad is an Enlilite. He's the youngest son of Enlil, okay, the commander. So, so Enlilite strongholds, okay, and Ninurtas, okay. At one point, when, he, when uh, Adad was building, you know, working really hard uh, at, at the top of the Andes, Marduk moved into Adad's uh, territory, ordinary territory, which is the Hittite land. Adad's the one that taught them how, uh, the Hittites how to use iron and, and, and all that. And so, uh, but this was his turf, but he's in South America. So Marduk moves in and he's being welcomed. And uh, so for a long time, the Hittites were then under the control of Marduk. And you'll see later on, of course, Inanna uh, allies herself with the Hittites too. And the, in the uh, War of Troy. Yeah, but so this is a, a lot of uh, people to take <laughs> note of and pay attention to and keep track of. But uh, these are the factions, and these people, the ones that remained, rule the world to this day. And they are the kings and queens and pharaohs and presidents and CEOs and all that stuff. So back to our story. In the 12th century BC, the Anilite king Tiglat. Pilaseri the first. Oh, no, it's Pilaser the first. Pilaser. Pilaser the first. That looks like runs in together. Pilaser the first. Tiglat Pilaser the first of Assyria conquered ba Lebanon and captured Marduk. He captured him. He captured him. City states in the western USA, western Asia, in western Asia along the Mediterranean coast, Asia Minor and Arabia became magnets attracting migrants and invaders. Peoples of the sea tried without success to settle in Egypt and instead occupied the Canaan coast. Abraham's descendants begged Enlil for kings to stop the barons' feuds. Enlil chose as king Saul, and then he chose David, and David made Jerusalem capital of Israel. So we see uh, the, the, the story, the history is consistent, and uh, for those who are familiar with the Bible, this is where we come down to Jerusalem and Israel and King David from King Saul. Okay. So around 1200 B.C., Greeks led by Agamemnon, Menelaus, and Odysseus attacked the Hittite allies of Adad and those of Inanna at Troy. Now Diomedes, who was a part Nibiran, uh, part, partly Greek earthling, actually wounded Inanna. And everybody saw, wow, she bled. We could kill the gods even if, we're, if we get to it right. But of course, Inanna recovered. Incidentally, after the Battle of Troy, Inanna's uh, son, Aeneas, 
who'd fought on the Trojan side, escaped to Carthage, and then to Italy, uh, landed in Latinium, and um, eventually, you know, the story of his uh, progeny ultimately uh, dealing with Romulus and Remus and taking over uh, the world. And they found it Rome, right? Yeah, in other words, basically uh, what uh, the Julius Caesar and others have, are basically uh, saying is that their lineage goes back to Inanna through Aeneas, and uh, so that the rulers of Rome are the followers of Inanna. That's what Caesar's claiming. But anyway, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. Okay. In, in t- um, 1003 BC, Israelite leader David captured Jerusalem. Then in 931 BC, when David's successor Solomon died, Abraham's descendants split their turf into the kingdoms of Judea, Judea in the south, and Israel, bordering Phoenicia land of the great Canaanite traders of the old world on the north. So until 910 BC, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Abijad, Nadab, Basa, Elah, Zimri, then Omri ruled Israel. So we have the lineage. They go from one to the other. In 872 BC, the leading Phoenician, Ithbal, who was king of Tyre, that's a, a, an island, a, a wonderful Phoenician uh, settlement, excuse me. A, and uh, Ithbal is a descendant of both Enki and Inanna. He sealed an alliance with Israel. Ithbal gave his daughter, who was named Jezebel, to Ahab. And Ahab was the successor to Omri uh, in the list that Janet read you as king of Israel. Now, Jezebel was going to be Ahab's principal wife, given the way uh, people arranged things in those days. She believed that the alliance between Phoenicia and Israel could replace separatism. Jezebel was about using pragmatism, making things work instead of just ideology. And Jezebel was about trade instead of bloodshed. So she came with a mission. She was going to bring uh, trade practicalness uh, and togetherness and cooperation to Israel. Through Jezebel's marriage to Ahab, Tyre, her father's place, would develop the Red Sea port of Etzon Geber, and ships from Tyre would ply the coasts of Arabia and East Africa as far as India for spices and silk. Tyre would pay Israel handsomely in both tolls and fees, Everybody would win, just like right now if Syria, Jordan, and Israel got it together and had a united front, they would all be very, very well off. Jezebel came to a magnificent temple of Astarte, Anana, Ahab, built for her in Samaria, north of Jerusalem. She traveled with servants, traders, and emissaries of Tyre with 400 priestesses and 400 priests. When Ahab defeated in the Syrian attack, Elijah, Endel's representative in Israel, blamed her for Ahab's decision not to sacrifice the captured Assyrian king and his men to Enlil, and instead created an alliance with Assyria. Enlil and Elijah wanted Ahab and Jezebel. You know, this is really heavy. You should slow it down a, a little bit, because let's, let's look at, at what these, okay. what, what's really happening What's here. happening, honey? Okay. So... Um, Again, uh, first of all, Ahab, King Ahab, is being humanistic. 
He's, 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 he's rather than killing off, which is the thing and Yahweh always wants everybody, and his prophets like Elijah always wants everybody killed. So Ahab's decided he's not going to, he's captured uh, the, the, the um, uh, Syrian king. But instead of killing this king of Assyria, he's going to uh, say, well, look, let's, I'll spare you and let's be friends instead. Now, Elijah, representing Yahweh, is saying, you done wrong. And you did it because of Jezebel. Her, and she has seduced you with her uh, call for foreign, um, to, to allow the worship of foreign gods who think that things like alliances is better than, than what, what Yahweh says, which is to kill a king. And so uh, Elijah is denouncing uh, the king. Now Enlil and Elijah basically want Ahab deposed. They want her killed. So go on, honey. Okay, so Enlil evidently either used a harp-type weather device or observed weather patterns. I think he used a harp-type device and uh, took credit for them to punish the Israelites for their merciful treatment of the Assyrians and Ahab's failure to prevent worship in Israel of other Nibirian gods. So we got into this, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and they start getting petty and competitive. And so um, Ahab failed to prevent worship of other gods right, in under Israel. Right, and his deal, and it wasn't just that Jezebel wanted it, he wanted it too. Let's open up and have a secular society, and let's all prosper. That was their, they, they were working together like Bill, Bill and Hillary. <laughs> Elijah created a challenge, and those priests and Jezebel would see whose cattle sacrifice Enlil would accept on Mount Carmel. Enlil, of course, accepted his priest's bull, but rejected the bull of Jezebel's priests, whom the witnesses then, at Elijah's insistence, killed. So they, they, they rejected that bull, and then Elijah said, kill it. And then Jezebel, furious, exiled Elijah, who, fed to, who fled to Israel. So Elijah's um, uh, faction in this war this battle oh he is a representative of yahweh he's yahweh's oh, in, in, but in israel enlil's priests framed jezebel they said it was her who caused this landowner uh to be uh, to die uh because she wanted his property so she so elijah issued a fatwa you know an order to kill quotes dog shall eat jezebel nice guy enlil uh took Elijah aloft in his aircraft. And there's a big, there's a whole bunch of uh, recollections of Elijah's journey in the aircraft. Uh, but Enlil, Yahweh, always playing his double games, told Elisa, which is Elijah's successor's prophet, that I killed Elijah. Well, so now it's Elisha, Elisha, who's even tougher. Elisha engineers another Assyrian attack on Israel. And in this attack, King Ahab is killed. Then this Elisha suborn got to Hazel, Hazael. And Hazael was Ahab's chief of staff. Okay, so Elisha has Hazael murder the Assyrian king now. And then Hazael is now the ruler of Assyria. And Hazael makes a deal with the generals of both Israel and Judea. Judea is uh, now ruled by the son of Jezebel and Ahab. 
uh, and the deal is uh, <clears throat> that these generals are going to murder the rulers of both Israel and Judea. And so Hazel makes Jehu, and Jehu is he's the descendant of Zimri, uh, who was a king who assassinated Israel's uh, king Elah before Ahab's uh, father Omri killed him. Anyway, so these all these it's royals so are always, it's always <laughs> murdering. Just get it. It's like oh, like King man. Henry. All these guys are murdering each other. So, but the whole idea is that Elisha has has got this series of murders all planned. Uh, so then, uh, so now. Jehu is king of Israel, and he has his men throw Jezebel from the second story, uh, and there there's the dogs that tear her apart at the end of this, and boy, this really gets he the end. He tosses her the, out the, the window, The right? Endlerites to dogs, yeah. The, yeah. the Endlerites, and these dogs get, eat her. They get off on this. Human-eating <laughs> dogs, okay. Okay, so the morning after Jehu's triple regicide, he's killing three rulers, he consolidated his power. He ordered every male who was any way related to the house of Ahab's fa father Omri killed. He ordered that King uh, Joram's counselors and priests, the fleeing attendants of Jezebel, trying to get back to Tyre, were all to be seized and beheaded so their blood would be on the hands of all the surviving authorities. So anyway, that's the, the, the sad tale of, of uh, Jezebel. She wasn't uh, ever, ever promiscuous uh, in terms of sex. It never was anything like that at all. She just was for liberalism, uh, for tolerance, and for allowing people to worship as they wanted. And that's what uh, uh, the uh, uh, Yahweh uh, is, uh, wants to murder everybody for. Okay, let's leave that side and see what else is happening in the world. After uh, most of the Anunnaki have gone, Adad and, and Nergal uh, send an Assyrian king again after a while. And this is Shalmaneser III. Shalmaneser III, they give him all this advanced artillery. And now, Shalmaneser III, go get Marduk in Babylon. And in 722 B.C., the III, Fifth, captured Samaria in Israel. So we have Sargon II, who is Shalomoser the fifth successor, exiled the Israelites from northern Israel. So we're down into 689 BC. And Sargon II's son, Cherub and the Assyrians assaulted Babylon with missiles, and they occupied Babylon for the next 70 years. And Sennacherib, Sargon the second son, took Phoenicia, Gaza, and Judea. So, so the Israelites. This is going to be important because these are the guys that are going to write the Bible. Okay. They, yeah, they are. Na they have now been captured, and now they're they and taken to uh, Babylon. Sennacherib, with without Adad's okay approval, struck Jerusalem. And they'll hit the Assyrians who dare to turn against them at Jerusalem with a techno weapon that killed 185,000 people. Sennacherib fled back to Nineveh in Sumer. He named his younger son Ashardadon, 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 his successor. In 612 BC, Babylon's king Nabu-Palasar captured Nineveh and the Assyrians retreated Nineveh 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 and the Assyrians retreated to Haran 
Sennacherib's older sons killed him, but Nibirans hid Esarhaddon, and they'll send Inanna to Assyria. She disarmed the Navians and destroyed their weapons. Esarhaddon rolls, she proclaimed. So this, so this is a battle going on. Uh, who's the warring faction? These, these are just these the are the, these are the different uh, people. Uh, what happened is, uh, Enlil says, "Inanna, uh, get some powerful people behind you and, and bring some order to places." And then her army runs away. The kings think they can do whatever they want, and they uh, they start encroaching on Enlil and what he thinks is his turf. And then he's got a, he's he's got trouble with his granddaughter. He can't control her, and so uh, they're he, so. They're both really mad at this one king, uh, the one that they they, they got to get rid of, because he thinks that he's doing it. He forgets that he's only armed with those weapons because they, they gave it to him. They're the Nibirans. So this is Sennacherib. He's got this yeah. techno weapon that killed 185,000 people. So he's gotten kind of power hungry. All right, so it's all confusing. But anyway, there's this long war going on. Okay, so from, from 610 through 650 BC, uh, the Nibirans methodically met, uh, left the Earth from the waste, old way station on Mars, from which the long-distance spaceships raced to intercept and land on the orbiting Nibiru when it reached perigee, as close as it gets to the Earth. Benefiting from Mars's lower gravity compared to Earth's the Nibirans found it easier to transport themselves and their cargoes in shuttlecraft from Earth to Mars and there transfer to reach Nibiru. Mars had water, walled structures, roads, a hub-like compa uh, compound, and the statue of Alalu's face. And then Negashita took Africans to Mexico. In Mexico in 3113 B.C., Negashita Thoth, also known as Quetzalcoatl in the Americas, um, and uh, Marduk had deposed in Egypt. Uh, he had uh, kicked him out of Egypt. Marduk had kicked Thoth, Negashita, now Quetzalcoatl, out of Egypt. So he, Thoth, brought Sumerian overseers and black African foremen and technicians called the Olmecs, the Olmecs, O-L-M-E-C-S, to Mexico and Central America, and with them organized the Maya descendants of Cain from these Anunnaki sites in Peru and Colombia. Negashida, now Quetzalcoatl, left his Olmecs and transplanted Sumerians around 600 BC, but said that he would return on the anniversary of his number, 52, the Maya and and he slew the Olmecs, and the Maya slew the Olmecs and the overseers. What does this mean by his number 52, honey? Um, it's some kind of um, something. Oh, in in the um, in this, yes, the way the uh, Nibirans see things. Uh, 60 is uh, Anu, and 50 is the commander. And uh, and and 52 uh, means that he's accepting a, if he's using that system he's accepting a position lower than the commander but right up there but the reality is that he was a very uh, mathematical guy and somehow in this 52 he's trying to tell us something about uh, when the Mayan calendar runs out what we'll have to do is get a new calendar. <laughs> But that's this, this story that uh, persists to this day that God's going to return to the Americas or something. All right, back to you, honey.
Okay, and so, uh, so when, when uh, the God, when, when he was gone, uh, uh, the Indians, the descendants of Cain, that had migrated down from uh, South America and who had been transported there directly just rose up and they, they killed all the black guys and all the uh, bearded white guys and it was back to, this is Indian turf again. And uh, so that's that's what happened in uh, and what happened is the uh, people that had uh, that survived uh, that were in the uh, Toss entourage just kept migrating south until they got to Colombia and uh, up to Venezuela and Peru and the places where they had uh, where they were still okay. Um, yeah, I'm on page twelve. Where are you, honey? <laughs> okay, so 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 basically, we're saying that uh, in Jerusalem around this time. You know, when everybody's leaving, all the Nibirans are leaving. Ezekiel has the lament. Yahweh sees us no more. Yahweh has left earth. In both hemispheres, then, mankind found itself without its long-worshipped gods. Mankind grabbed for the hope of a return and cast about for a savior. They felt so abandoned. This was absolutely, these guys are gone. We we're like babies. What are we going to do without these gods? They were mommy and daddy, but they were also mean. <laughs> so in 539 BC, welcomed by Marduk, Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon and returned Nebuchadnezzar's hostages. Cyrus? Cyrus? Oh, Cyrus, I, Cyrus, he called Cyrus, okay. Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon and returned Nebuchadnezzar's hostages That's the Israelis, Israelites. to Jerusalem. Cyrus's successor, Cambyses, Com Cambyses, added Sumer, Mari, Mitanni, Hatti, Elam, Assyria, Egypt, to the Persian Empire. So this becomes the Persian Empire. Right. And Darius, who murdered Cambyses in 522 BC, ruled the extended Persian Empire. He unsuccessfully invaded Greece in 490 BC. In 480 BC, his successor Xerxes mm -hmm. also unsuccessfully attacked Greece. So we're coming through up into the, the biblical times That's here. right. We're rounding the corner here. So Sitchin asks, who of the Anunnaki gods remained on earth? Well, we can be certain only of Marduk and Nabu, of the Enkiites. And of the Enlilites, it looks like Nanar was here. His spout, spouse, Nanar's spouse, Ningal, seemed to still be here. Well, we'll see. His aide, Nuxu, is here, and Ishtar, Inanna, was here. So we're going to go on after the break, and uh, we're going to read some wonderful summary of all this material. Uh, it's so inspiringly put uh, by Neil Freer in this wonderful book, it's Sapiens. A new book called Sapiens Arising. Sapiens Arising. We'll be back after a short break. Thank you. Come to Stargate to the Cosmos, an intimate conference June 7th, 8th, and 9th, 2013 in Las Vegas. Transport yourself to new realities at the Stargate to the Cosmos, where you meet and talk one-to-one -to, -one to the speakers and some of your intellectual peers. We focus on expanding your consciousness, connecting with your soul group, ancient aliens, extraterrestrial and interdimensional contacts. 
Stan and Lisa Romanek, Neil Freer, Michael Tellinger, Janet Kira Lesson and Dr. Sasha Lesson, Laura Eisenhower and Dr. Dream, Marsha and Ralph Ring, Brett Luter, Kim Carlsberg, Joanne Richards, Gordon James and Janet Giamoto, Sean David Morton, Robert Potter and special mystery guests share the latest revelations. Call 808-244-4103, register at StargateToTheCosmos.com and teleport to tomorrow.
Aloha, welcome back to Aquarian Radio at AquarianRadio.com. Today's episode of Ancient Aliens is Most Gods Left Us. And we are now, oh, I'm your host, Janet Carol Lesson, with co-host Dr. Sasha Lesson. I do want to remind you that we have a website called EnkiSpeaks.com. As long as, as well as with, uh, yeah, as well as AquarianRadio.com, we have AnkiSpeaks.com. We have a wonderful book there called Anunnaki Gods No More. Anunnaki Gods No More. Please go over there and click and buy our book. And uh, once again, I uh, want to remind you about our Stargate to the Cosmos conference. This is our first annual conference, 2013, in Hendersonville in the Las Vegas area, June 7th, 8th, and 9th. And our website is now live and available for tickets. We are only going to have about 200 to 250 tickets. Right now we have 200 available. And do go register because it's going to sell out. We know it's going to sell out, so get your tickets early. Because when they're gone, they're gone. And now we're going to read from uh, Neil Freer's new book called Sapiens Rising. So there are aliens present and inviting us into stellar society. And we have evidence and and this, what's it? We have the evidence and species maturity to restore our true history as a genetically engineered species. Religion is sublimated continuum of the ancient master-slave relationship. It's a continuation. It's a continuation. It's been sublimated, but it's a continuation of the ancient master-slave relationship we were created under. We must be a united and peaceful species, taking no weapons into space as an entrance requirement to stellar society. All these elements are beyond the scope of any of our institutions. The military reaction is to deny and conceal what they cannot deal with or protect against and hope to obtain, accidentally or deliberately, technology and weapons to die for. That's, that's their reaction. Governments deny and conceal what they cannot deal with in the hopes of keeping power and control in order. And they say they're avoiding chaos and anarchy in their societies. The aliens utilize very advanced power sources, free energy, anti-gravity, which make our primitive resources, such as oil and atomic energy, obsolete. Major industries and the economies of the world are content to simply keep the status quo for as long as possible. They do positively criminal acts to suppress, manipulate, and control. There is a sort of a reactive protecting of their status and position and their theories, coupled with secret hope of gaining proprietary access to scientific breakthroughs by alien donation. We must become consciously consciously exosocial, exosocial, acknowledge and resolve our relationship as an independent mature species with our parent species, the Anunnaki. We must expand our consciousness to grasp the potential of immortality. We, develop, we need to develop free energy sources and advanced nanotechnology to move beyond competition and money to cooperation, transform to a united and peaceful and prosperous planetary society, succeed in protecting and preserving our species from extinction, 
especially in times of catastrophic passings of the tenth planet, Nibiru. We need to learn to transmute ourselves physically into more perfect beings, expand our consciousness into higher dimensionality, and take total control of our own real evolution. Re-evolution. 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 We are being visited, monitored, contacted, gradually informed, taught by a near embarrassment of alien species who have been patiently revealing their crafts and persons and agendas to us over a long period of time. Bypass the government cover. We need to. Get, we must bypass the government cover-ups. Develop our knowledge and skills in exopolitics. Exopolitics. Exopolitics is the interactions of the human species with alien species. We need to learn the exosociology, or or both our species and that of alien species. Oh, of both our species and that of alien species, and prepare for stellar citizenship. We are being offered stellar citizenship as a species, and the re-recognition of our true history as half-alien genetically synthesized species that's what we're being offered, the truth. Restoration of our true history gives us the way to move beyond our divisive religious conflicts to a generic, united humanity. We're coming out of 3,000 years traumatic transition from a genetically engineered slave species status by our parent species, the Anunnaki, to the beginnings of independence and genetic enlightenment. We can't attain stellar citizenship if we meet the basic rules of stellar society. No weapons in space and acceptance if we can unite as a peaceful species. The real obstacle to our species unification Unification is our divisive God-spell psychosis that keeps us babble-factored, divided, conflicted by religio-cultural absolutes. Alien species possessing advanced science and technology sufficient to allow them to control gravity, travel throughout the universe, have evolved sufficiently and their technology has freed them from material and energy needs to the extent that they would have no need to take over the earth or us or do anything harmful to obtain material resources or energy or even genetic biological components. 24. We're going to page 24. No, we're going to page yeah. 27. Hold on one second. Janet is, is now thumbing through Neil's wonderful book here. <laughs> yeah, wait, it, says it goes to page 32 from there. Well, we just got done reading this. Oh, I don't know, honey. Where do you want to go? Did You, you didn't read this, though, did you? No, no, we lost our place. Hold on. It said to go to page 27, so this is it. Okay, go ahead. That's yours, or that's me. Anakim, and that's interesting. It's kind of the name that they used on Star Wars for um, the young lad. Anakim, Nephilim, El Elohim, Egyptian Neter, an advanced civilization from the 10th planet in our solar system, splashed out in the Persian Gulf 
area around 432,000 years ago and colonized the planet with the purpose of attaining large quantities of gold. Male and female, the males bearded generally taller and huskier than we humans are today, light-skinned, their sexual and social customs generally like ours, with the notable exception that, at least in the procreation of a son destined for continuation of a line, mating with the half-sister was the preferred practice. For 250,000 years ago, the lower echelon miners rebelled against the conditioners in the conditions in the mines, and the Anunnaki directorate decided to create a creature to take their places. Enki, their chief scientist, and Inharsag, their chief medical officer, after getting no satisfactory results splicing animal and Homo erectus genes, merged their Anunnaki genes with that of Homo erectus and produced us, Homo sapiens, a gene uh, genetically bicameral species for their purposes as slaves. Because we were a hybrid, we could not procreate, but then the demand for us as workers became greater, and we uh, became so numerous uh, in our reproduction uh, that some of us were, were expanding all over from the Anunnaki city centers and spreading over the whole planet. I just got to say at this point that there is uh, some gathering evidence that it, uh, rather than Homo erectus uh, being uh, uh, who the hominoid that uh, Enki and crew uh, genetically uh, engineered us with, but that it might it well have been Homo neanderthalensis, who is our today, uh, who is known today as Bigfoot. For thousands of years, we were their slaves, their workers, their servants, and their soldiers in their political battles among themselves. The Anunnaki used us in the construction of their palaces. We retroproject the religious notion of temples on these now. We call them temples. They used us for their cities, their mining and refining complexes, and their astronomical installations on all the continents. They expanded from Mesopotamia to Egypt to India to South and Central America, and the stamp of their presence can be found in the farthest reaches of the planet. 6,000 years ago, they, realizing that they were going to phase off the planet, began gradually to bring humans to independence. Sumer was set up under their tutelage in Mesopotamia. A strain of humans genetically enhanced with more Anunnaki genes, a bloodline of rulers in a tradition of servants of the people, was initiated by Enki. These human kings were inaugurated as go-betweens, foremen of the human populations, and I want to say priests, answering to the Anunnaki. These designated humans were taught technology, mathematics, astronomy, advanced crafts, and the ways of advanced civilized society in schools which are called now the mystery schools. Genetic history carrying all the way back to the Anunnaki possessed by the heterodox tradition of Christianity is only now coming forward, no longer gun-shy of the Inquisition, branded heretical, and in which the Roman Catholic Church murderously persecuted and beheaded and burned people, the witch hunts. Hold on while we find where we're going to. We are going to write here. Your turn. Okay, so the Anunnaki phased off uh, 
either off or into the background on this planet uh, from 1250 BC. And for 3,000 years, we humans have been going through a very traumatic transition to racial independence. Uh, claims made by uh, groups of humans uh, as to who knew and who knows what we uh, should be doing to get uh, the Anunnaki to return, or when, or when they do return, uh, uh, what should uh, be done. And these people are there telling us what to do. The palace and social rituals uh, uh, that they learned under the Anunnaki become the, uh, ritual, the, the religious rituals. Uh, now, of course, we get religious ritual as the transmutation then, for your saying, of palace servant duties. Serving the favorite roasted meats on the uh, Nibiran table became burnt offerings on the table now. And the table becomes an altar. The transportation of the Anunnaki a local ruler on a dais became the procession of statues. <laughs> the, <laughs> go ahead, this is your section, Janet. Yeah, the Anunnaki palaces became temples. The Anunnaki were known to the humans who were in contact with them as imperfect flesh and blood humanoids. Although they were taller and huskier than we, they were male and female, the males were bearded. We look like they look because we are half Anunnaki. Let me re read that We're again. really way more than half. I, I, we I, are I, more I, than half because they constantly inbred Well, it's not just us. that. It's also the mitochondrial uh, DNA from uh, the original um, wombs, the Nibiran wombs that were used, that of, of Ninharsag, Damkina, and uh, the medical corps uh, under uh, this, the seven uh, hero women, uh, medical officers under, Ninhar, uh, under Ninharsag, uh, contributed their uh, mitochondrial DNA, and then uh, Enki and all, all the guys kept on every every single generation of girls, you know, every 20 or 30 years, they had new chicks, to, and they were making babies all over the time and making babies with their babies' babies, and they lived so long that they, um, it's really amazing how, how they started, finally get this strain, and you'll see after Deluge, uh, particularly one strain, which uh, Enki kept feeding, because he kept getting all the pretty girls, and then we get Noah. So it was only much later that the Anunnaki were eventually sublimated and mythologized. Uh, oh yeah, we were, they, were, they were only sublimated into cosmic character and status and later on conveniently mytholo mythologized. So breaking the God spell has seen us go through the stages of abandonment, dis dissociation, transmutation, religion, rebellion, and now to recovery. We have been dysfunctionally looking to the sky where they went for some 3,000 years. We were caught in a cargo cult slave code religions. So, so you, so we are ready yeah. to step out of racial adolescence. So you really have to understand what what uh, uh, what Freer is doing here is he's going through the Kubler Ross uh, things about what happens uh, to people and, and as they uh, it's almost like what happens in AA. First, there's the breaking uh, of the God spell. We go through abandonment, then dissociation, then transmutation, and then we went to religion, uh, then rebellion against the religion, and now. Uh, what he's saying is we're moving into recovery. We don't, we're not begging the Anunnaki to come back. Uh, and if they do come back, we're not going to just pick up their, the, the shovels and, and dig gold for them without asking for some labor-saving devices. I think we're uh, still devices. so locked in the God spell. Uh. 
All right. Okay, so we have remained Babel-factored for uh, good crowd control. We've been broken into tribes, each proprietarily telling the other that ours is the only accurate tradition of some particular God intended, uh, what safe rules to follow, what we should be doing uh, to demonstrate uh, we're still loyal, docile servants. And uh, they are still insisting that we kill each other over it. Persecutions, crusades, jihads, inquisitions, evil empires, the saved and the damned, the martyr, the infidel, the saint, the Protestant, the fundamentalist, the atheist, they're all still here. So religion as we know it is a transmutation of the Anunnaki human relationship of master-subject servitude, of slavery, and then limited subservient partnership, the That's, God spell. Yeah. The concept of God, with a capital G, has gradually developed through the cosmification of the various Anunnaki rulers, Enlil, who is Jehovah, Yahweh, Enki, who is Adonai, the Lord. Allah is El, Nanar, Sin. Or it might be Marduk. Or it could be Marduk. The God of the Judeo-Roman Christian tradition is Jehovah, Yahweh. Was and quite possibly still is the flesh and blood Anunnaki individual, Enlil, cosmified into the absolute creator of the universe eventually spoken of as infinite love and infinite justice now you've got to say that uh, uh, they um, the uh, Nibirans themselves did not think of themselves as, as the creator uh, although Marduk uh, tri claimed he was the creator when as part of his madness they were all uh, they are all struck by their own God spells. Well, somewhere they took over and, and used this as uh, this idea that we are the creator because uh, if we knew about the creator of all and oneness and source, we would not be in this situation now. So let me go into this. The a cosmic infinite principle of God is a composite concept of the sublimation of the anthropomorphic and imperfect Anunnaki individuals, the deities of slave code religions, metaphysical abstractions accumulated, accumulated over time through the speculations of the revered philosophers from the Greeks onward, the Hellenic, the Hellenic influenced Theo philosophical te teachings of the Roman Church, scholastic tradition and mystics, flavored with the concepts of theists, deists, agnostics, theophists, and mystics of any theosophists, theosophists, and mystics of any number of sects thoroughly live leavened by the concept of the consciousness expanding dis disciplines and metaphysical doctrines of the East sprinkled with their own individual intellectual and emotional subjected variations and usually still conditioned by the god spell elements of subservience but that cosmified composite intellectual abstraction is not the jehovah yahweh or jesus of the judeo-christian religions the prime mover of thomas aquinas or the omega point of Deshardin, the Allah of the Muslim faith, the Brahma of Hinduism, the Buddha, or the Tao, or deity of the religion of your choice. Yes, a new paradigm means that religion and religions, as we know them, will have to bow out. 
The driving force, Freer says, will be desperation and desire for peace that will gradually manifest in the entire planetary population. It'll be so strong, it'll cause an abandonment of authoritarian leaders, abandonment of authoritarian dogmas, abandonment of the religions. And is that it, honey? I think that's a, uh, 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 that's a, that's a, good, a good start. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, let's see. In terms of the, so we, the 60 we minutes. To, yeah, we're, we're, we're done for today. But, I, you know, this is very heavy information I, <laughs> that I think we're going to come back and talk about more in a future show. Because Absolutely. This, this we're going to have to go over and over because it's, it's huge. You have to understand, we have been programmed to follow authority and rank ourselves and other people uh, constantly and to put other people down and to compete instead of cooperate or instead of some constructive way of, of uh, competing in a cooperative manner to uh, make win for all. We don't have to do this old game, which was all based on making kings and gods out of these guys that had great technology. And uh, so what? We, our consciousness is just as good as theirs, and we got a lot to contribute to. And that's it for today on Aquarian Radio at AquarianRadio.com. We will come back and go into this subject in depth with ourselves, between me and, and Dr. Lesson, Sasha, my beloved, and other guest speakers that come on to our show. And I don't think we can talk about this issue enough. It's it's how we get out of this Godspell. I, I, I thoroughly believe in my uh, research that the religions were put in place to dominate our consciousness and keep us from our spiritual essence and remembering who we are, connected to source and all that there is, and uh, higher consciousness and levels of awareness. So thank you once again for joining us on Aquarian Radio. And aloha, much love and blessings. Namaste. Janicure Lesson, Lesson and Dr. Sasha Lesson. Coming to you live from Maui, Hawaii. Thanks for joining us today on Aquarian Radio. We broadcast daily and our schedules on AquarianRadio.com. Listen live by calling 646-649-0893 or you can listen live by calling 646-649-0893 or listen to our archives on AquarianRadio.com. Join us again soon and do tell your friends the age of Aquarius and the paradigm of peace is now. Aloha, this is Enki, you know me as Aquarius, and this is our age, the Sata Yuga, time to celebrate with us. We have programs on all chakra tantra, love styles and relationship choices, counseling strategies and techniques that you can use at home. We have extraterrestrial radio where we deal with alienology, paranormal people, and we have an experiencers network. We have a section called Ancient Aliens, and the programs therein are Enki Speaks, Nimma, the mother of humanity, has her program, and we revise ancient anthropology. And most important of all, we have Peace Paradigms, because this is the age of peace. Harmony and understanding, sympathy and trust abounding, no more falsehoods or derisions, golden living dreams of visions, mystic crystal revelations, and the mind's true liberation. And this has been another episode here at AquarianRadio.com. AquarianRadio.com.